0: So the truth is that I'm actually not much of a goal setter. I would call myself ambitious. I believe I'm driven. I'm always pushing to grow and do better. But I tend to not set like specific goals for where I want to be by certain times. Like those SMART goals kind of drive me nuts. I never liked doing them when I was working at a school and we had to set SMART goals. Talk about an exercise in compliance. That was me filling out my SMART goal template. I even remember when I went to the first ed nonprofit meeting with my team leader and, you know, we were in a goal setting session and I was just getting so annoyed with like us going back and forth amongst everybody about, you know, what was the exact metric going to be that we were measuring? And I was just like... I don't care, you know, put down whatever number. I'm like it's not going to make me work any harder or less hard. Like I'm going to work to my fullest like no matter what that number is. So I don't really care what you write down in the in the Google doc. And her response like she she's very goal oriented. <laughs> we have different personalities. She's what I would call a a gold if you are familiar with the true colors. Personality test, whereas I'm a green, just like to talk about ideas and strive for things. So she was like, could not understand at all where I was coming from. And I think she was slightly appalled. These are the kinds of things I did when I used to have a boss that part of the reason why I obviously, need to not have a boss. I would not suggest saying that to your team leader, that you don't understand why you have to set a goal. But my whole point in saying all of this is that I I don't usually lean towards these, you know, uh, numbers, but... I've made an exception over the past month. I hack I actually have set a goal for myself in one area of my life and I've figured out a way to finally make progress on this goal. This is a goal I've been working on for almost 5 years and I haven't really made much progress with it up until the last few weeks. So I want to tell you what it was that I finally did to set a goal and start accomplishing this goal and why I'm excited about it, why I'm so excited about it when usually I'm not that excited about goal setting. So stay tuned on the other side of the intro. I'm going to tell you all about that and how it applies to you in your role as a teacher or leader, and it'll be fun. So I'll catch you on the other side. middle school teacher and math coach on a mission to help educators create a positive classroom community and reach every learner all while finding balance in their own lives since i've left the classroom i've learned so much about equity in education building classroom community math instructional practices that increase accessibility and in learning mindfulness and self-care and ways to maximize time and impact through focused work and prioritization Through conversations with experienced educators, you'll gain new knowledge, insights and inspiration, and practical ideas to try in your own classroom. I'll also share my many lessons learned over the years with the hope that it will accelerate your learning curve as a teacher. If you're an educator who's working hard to accelerate your students' confidence and understanding in math, you're in the right place. I want to be your mindful math coach. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay, friends, so welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Math Podcast. As you know, I'm your host, Chrissy Allison, and as I mentioned, today we're gonna talk about a goal that I set for myself and how it was that I finally started making progress on this goal. The goal is to lose some pounds, lose some of that weight that I gained when I had my children, specifically number two, and pretty much never took the weight off over the past five years. Now, I've tried a variety of things, and in hindsight, I can see how really they were just, I don't know, kind of trendy things or things that weren't really for the long haul. You know, one time I did a a cleanse, another time I tried to eat, you know, paleo, which for like a bread lover, pasta lover, I'm Italian. I mean, that was obviously never going to be how I could live my whole life. So that was not sustainable for me. But over the past month, I've lost six pounds. Yes, six pounds. I'm proud of that. And it wasn't that hard. And it's actually something I think I could sustain. I want to share with you the framework that was the catalyst for this for me. This framework comes from a book that I've actually never read called The Four Disciplines of Execution. The authors are Chris McChesney, Sean Covey, and Jim Hewling. Now, if I've never read the book, how do I know about this? Well, I've watched some YouTube videos. Thank you, Chris McChesney. And I will link to that video in the show notes. In the video, Chris breaks down four steps that you can use to focus on less to accomplish more. So this message is very aligned with what I believe, right? You know, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. And so this is like one application of that. So the first step is select a wildly important goal, a wig, wildly important goal. He says, there are always more good ideas than there is capacity to execute. I mean, how true is that? (laughs) I'm an ideas person. I always have way too many ideas than I have time to execute. And the same is true with teaching. The same is true with school leadership. Tons of ideas not always enough time for them. So step one is important. It's like pick one goal. And he says, pick a goal that will not be accomplished unless it gets your special attention, your extra attention. So for me, my wildly important goal from the past month was to lose five to 10 pounds before we went to Florida for our warm weather trip (laughs) that we planned to have something to look forward to with this pandemic going on. So when I decided that I wanted to lose this weight, I actually thought back to this video about wildly important goals. I had first heard of this idea and watched this video probably five years ago, and it has always stuck with me because of this idea of lag measures and lead measures. Okay. And so step two is act on the lead measures. Picture like a rope, what's leading it and what's lagging. So the lag measure is the metric that you're really measuring your success by. It's the thing that when you accomplish it, like that's the thing you're measuring. So for me, that would be the pounds lost. So my lag measure would be how much weight I've lost as measured by the scale. The thing about lag measures is they are typically easier to measure than the lead measures and for that reason people tend to focus on them more be- both because they're easier to measure and he also says it's because it's really the thing you want to have success on. Whereas the lead measure are the the metrics and the activities that are driving the lag measure. They're the things that are having the impact. They're the things that are causing the change. In math terms, they're the input, right? So the lead is like the input, the X, the lag measure is the output or the Y. So for weight loss, I decided to choose four lead measures. So I picked four things that I thought would have an impact on my weight. The first one is drinking more water. So I've been trying to drink about 80 ounces of water every day. The second one is calorie intake. So I've been logging my calories every single day. The third one is movement. So I've been trying to hit 5,000 steps every day. And the fourth one is no sugar. That's not true. The fourth one is like no desserts, no added sugar in terms of like syrup or, you know, a cupcake or ice cream or my kids' candy that I used to just grab when I would be walking through the kitchen. I picked those because I believe. And it's proven to be true that those are the things that if I do those consistently, they will impact my weight. I will see the change. I have confidence that by doing those things and focusing on those things and staying consistent with those things, I'm going to get the result that I want. All right. Step three is keep a compelling scoreboard. He talks about how having a scoreboard is motivating to people. He said it helps get you invested in it, it increases your engagement, and if you're working with a team, it really increases the engagement of the whole team, okay? So for me, what I did was I literally made a sticker chart, and I put 32 days on there, that's how many days we had until we left for our trip, you know, four slots for each of the stickers, and every day I'm marking it off, you know, how many of these stickers did I get? Now, number four is a cadence of accountability. In the video, he talks about specific ways that you can do this if you're working with a team, how you can have a meeting, the length of it, what you go around and report on. But I'm just going to say that having accountability is important. And so what I did this time was I hired, quote unquote, my sister to be an accountability partner. And so she checked in on me via Voxer pretty much every day asking me how many of the stickers I got. Not only that, but I told her that for every missed sticker, I would send her $25 to donate to a charity. Caveat there, I got eight free spaces within the 32 days. So there was like eight times I could miss a sticker. But on top of that, anything above that, I would send her $25 to get donated. So I had a couple levels of accountability there. I also had my daughter, Livy. Livy loves to help me count how much water I've drank. So I have a Nalgene bottle that I need to drink five of. And she asks me, how many of you drank? What number are you on, mom? Are you gonna get your sticker? And so that accountability, you know, having that those extra two people help hold me accountable has really helped me. So those are the four things, okay, that he goes through and kind of how they've applied to the last month and what I've been doing with weight loss. Okay, you all, now for the fun part. I'm going to talk you through one of your goals, and I'd like you to do a mental audit as we go through each step. I say mental because I'm assuming that you are listening to this podcast while you're doing something else. Maybe you're doing the dishes, driving somewhere, on a walk, on a jog, in the shower, and you probably don't have a pen and paper near you. But if you do happen to have paper or your computer, you can jot down some notes as we go through. Okay, so first of all, I want you to identify one of your wildly important goals. Now, maybe you've not called it that in the past, what is one of the goals you have for yourself, for your students, for your school that you're very dedicated to? You feel like this thing needs to happen. A lot of times in schools, I think that the wildly important goal is something like, you know, the percentage of students who meet and exceed standards on the state summative. If you're a teacher, I could see, you know, lots of different ideas of what your wildly important goal might be. I think one could be the summative test score, if that's ultimately what you're, you feel accountable to. I think another idea could be something that is class-specific or course-specific for you. So maybe it's the percent of students who pass your Algebra 1 class. Okay, so you have it, you have something in mind, an area in mind that you want to work on. And remember, this is something that's really worth this extra time and attention to try to achieve. This is not you know, your laundry list of all the possible goals you could come up with for yourself and your students and your school. It's one, one goal. Okay, so number two is act on the lead measures. So this is one I really want you to think about. What are the lead measures that are predictive of the lag measure? And remember, these are the things that are influenced directly by you or your team. These are things you have control over. They are the levers that move the goal. These are not benchmarks. So in my weight loss example, my lag measure is the scale. My lead measures are how many calories I'm eating, how much movement I have, whether or not I'm eating uh, the added sugar and desserts, and how much water I'm drinking. So a lead measure would not be me weighing in a whole bunch of times. A lead measure would not be me using a measuring tape to see how the inches have changed on my waist or my hips. A lead measure would not be me trying on clothes uh, that were too tight in the past and seeing if the fit has changed. Those are actually just benchmarks that can help me have another way to see am I making progress towards my goal. Those are not things that are going to cause the change. Those are not the things that are going to make the goal, you know, help me meet the goal or not meet the goal. Those are just telling me like, am I on the right track? And I think sometimes we don't distinguish between these different pieces enough, and we end up spending more of our time talking about and putting effort into and analyzing things that are actually the lag measures or benchmarks of the lag measures. Let's talk about assessments. If your lag measure is going to be your state summative and you give interim assessments, interim assessments are not your lead measure even though you may feel that they are predictive of the lag measure, they are not the thing that is going to influence it or change it. Just measuring students and getting those numbers, that's not going to be the thing that's going to actually increase their learning to be successful on the summative. You know, let me be clear. This is not to say that having benchmarks is a bad idea. I think it's a good idea. I'm just saying let's not give so much attention to it that we don't have time or space or energy or capacity to focus on the lead measures as much as we would need to, which in my mind would be 90 or 95% of the time. So now I want you to think about what are some of the lead measures that are going to be predictive that are going to change the outcome on your lag. All right, so if I was back in the classroom as a teacher, I would probably pick the percent of students who meet or exceed standards on the state summative or possibly the percent of students who pass my class. But either way, I'd be thinking about what is going to be the best indicator for me if students really learned the content that I was trying to teach. So some of the things that I would measure in terms of the lead measures are as follows. How much of the time am I spending on course-specific content? Am I spending the right percentage of time on the major work of the grade? So maybe I'm measuring and keeping track of the different standards and which ones we have, you know, studied as a class. What are the percent of students who are actively engaged in my class? The number of opportunities in each lesson to engage in deep thinking about the math. So as I've mentioned in many other episodes, this is one of the key indicators of students learning the math is that classrooms where teachers do this, classrooms where teachers really have thought through and asked questions to help students think about what's going on mathematically, those students are way more likely to be learning the material and gaining a deep understanding of the math. And so something that I could measure would be how many opportunities in each lesson I'm giving students to engage in this thinking. And so then again, we would also have some benchmarks, uh, but these are not lead measures. These would be benchmarks for the lag measure. So that might be exit tickets, how are students doing on a unit test, interim assessments, any of those other assessments are giving you data to see are these other things you're doing Focusing on your content, the number of students who are engaged, the number of opportunities students have to do the deep thinking, are those things moving the needle as measured by these benchmarks? All right, school leaders, I don't want to leave you out so quickly. If you're in a leadership seat, you're a coach, you're the principal, you're an assistant principal, my guess is you're really attuned to the state summative or you know, maybe some, a growth measure of some sort. So for you, your lead measures, remember, these are things you have control over. If you believe, like I believe, that meaningful teacher collaboration is something that can really move the needle, then you could measure how often that's happening and how many minutes that's happening. So one thing I want to point out here is that I would be cautious about how much of that collaboration time is focused on lead measures versus lag measures for the teacher, When I say meaningful collaboration, I'm talking about things that they have as their lead measures that they think are going to help them meet their goal. Another lead measure that coaches and leaders could be thinking about are the number of instructional minutes in the schedule for both Tier 1 and Tier 2 and 3 instruction. How about time spent coaching teachers on key instructional priorities? When I say coaching, I'm talking about co-planning with teachers, helping them think through their upcoming lessons, studying units and studying standards together, observing their class and giving feedback, having reflection meetings, those kinds of things. And then finally, I was thinking I might measure the retention rate of my teachers, especially experienced teachers who've shown that they're effective. Okay, number three, keep a compelling scoreboard. And then number four is the cadence of accountability. So I would just keep this simple. I have a sticker chart. I don't know if you want to have a sticker chart or something else. Maybe you have a spreadsheet. But I would pick, you know, how often am I going to take a look at these lead measures and put that in your calendar? What percent of my instructional time this week? Ballpark it. So you would write that down. Okay, percent of students who are engaged. You know, you're just thinking, take a few minutes. Or if you've been keeping track somehow, awesome. That'll make it even easier. Number of opportunities in each lesson to engage in deep th- thinking. Maybe that's, you know, your goal is three and you're like, I actually got to them this week. Okay, Three. When I see my lead measures go up, when I see a week when more kids are engaged and I'm asking more of these questions and we have five days of instruction, that quiz score was higher. That gives you confirmation that your lead measures are really good metrics to be focused on. All right. But if you see your lead measures go up while your benchmark is staying the same, then you're like, oh, something needs to change. These are not actually predictive. So again, I would say keep it simple and have a rhythm for it. He calls it a cadence. Have a cadence of accountability. So leaders, I gave you three ideas for lead measures that you could have, one around meaningful collaboration, one around instructional time, and one around time spent coaching teachers. I think Uh, The instructional minutes is likely something that's not going to change over the year. So I don't know if that makes sense to measure every single week, but the other two would. So maybe you have time Sunday night or maybe Friday afternoon where you're thinking back on the week and thinking about did teachers have time for meaningful collaboration? How much time and also how much time did you spend coaching? How did that go? And then again, you're able to see, is this moving the needle? So a benchmark for you could be, are you seeing change in teacher practice? And here's a simple way I like to keep track. So when I'm working with schools, I like to create just a very simple spreadsheet where we can put the teacher's name and the date of the observation. And then we have like two to five things that we're looking for. And these align to our school priorities. And in this case, I would say these are things that should align to the teacher's lead measures. So engagement, students doing the deep thinking, on grade level instruction. And then I just do a very simple zero to two rating. Zero is no evidence of this at all. Two is like, this was awesome. And then one is, you know, somewhat. And then every time I go in and observe teachers, pull out that spreadsheet and just do those quick ratings of zero to two. It keeps you focused on what you are ultimately trying to accomplish and what you want to support the teachers to do. And it gives you some numbers to really see how you're making progress. Okay, friends, I hope this was helpful. School leaders in particular, I want to let you know that I have a resource for you that might be helpful. It's my Three Keys to Strong Math Instruction video series. And if you go to www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash Keys, K E Y S. I will send you some short videos where I talk through the three key areas that I always focus on when I work with schools. You can probably guess what they are based on some of the examples that I gave in today's episode. And if you are a loyal listener of the Mindful Math podcast, I've named them before. And I'll also be sure to include a link to the Three Keys video series in the show notes as well as the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution by Chris McChesney, Sean Covey, and Jim Hewling. And I will link to Chris's YouTube video where I pretty much learned about all of this over on the show notes page for this episode, which is www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash episode 39. In closing, I want to extend an invitation to you to join me on the journey to providing more equitable math learning experiences for students of color, leading to equitable outcomes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to make sure you don't miss the next one, head over to mindfulmathcoach.com, where you can sign up to receive weekly emails about new episodes. And if you're into social media and you want to connect with me there, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at mindfulmathcoach or on Twitter at Mindful123Coach. A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and oftentimes the math improvement journey and the journey toward a more equitable and just society can feel a thousand miles long. That's why I'm so glad we're on this mindful math journey together, and in particular, why I'm glad you've chosen to take a single step forward with me today by listening into this episode. Thanks for tuning in.